you're listening to Having a Chat, the show where we talk to interesting people with interesting tastes in music about the music that they love. I'm Alex Spears, and this week on the show, we are chatting with Half Moon Run lead singer Connor Melander. It would be pretty difficult to talk about indie music in Canada without talking about this great Montreal band. They've got a new EP out called Inwards and Onwards, which sees them taking a bit of a sonic departure from the sounds that they've been known for in the past, so we're very excited to have Connor with us to chat about some music. This is Having a Chat. Thanks so much for joining us. My pleasure, Alex. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course, man. Of course. Um, so wanna we're gonna kick things off by talking about we're gonna talk about on and on. And so I'm I'm gonna take a shot in the dark and guess something, just my interpretation of the video, which is really, really cool, super, super trippy. Um, it seemed to be a lot of visuals of things that were one might say going on and on so you know circles going in an infinite loop that sort of that visual of the tunnel is that a correct assessment and uh and what else can you tell us about uh, this song yeah i mean I, I would say that's a correct assessment um the the music video was made by another person named alex and um oh, beautiful. <laughs> he uh we're everywhere. He was someone that I just found on Instagram and he did the, the, the cover of the, the record too. Yeah. And so I remember the first time I wrote to him, I wrote him uh, just some abstract kind of descriptors of what we were thinking for the album cover, but also for the video for On and On. It was a long kind of, uh, you know, really abstract uh, description with all kinds of different uh, things that I won't get into, but um, uh, he took it in his own direction. But I would say, yeah, we were trying to talk in our own way about things like, you know, infinity. Right. To be honest. Yeah. Right. And then like more broadly speaking, what is, uh, what's the song about? Well, I mean, Devin wrote the lyrics, but when, right. when we were, um, when we were writing it, we were talking a lot at, we were just talking a lot at jam. We were talking for like four or five hours before we started playing sometimes about all kinds of things. Um, and I think those conversations are probably best left in the jam space. Um, they, they, they were, <laughs> yeah, fair. we were talking, you know, it was, it was lockdown. It was, uh, we were uh, only seeing each other and we were, <laughs> we were talking about God and all kinds of things. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. There you During go. The writing of that song anyway. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, very cool. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, it, it's, it's always tricky to, to speculate, I guess, if it, it, when, when you're not the one writing the lyrics, but, but certainly I, you know. It, it would make sense that it would have some sort of meaning to you, whether that's just from conversations that were being. There's, the uh, I'll, I'll say at the end of um, the, the Divine Comedy, yeah. um, uh, there um, is the, the famous section in The Last Cancer when he tries to describe, well, he describes looking into the face of the divinity. And he sees something like these circular um, kind of concentric circles that start off as angels and end up being kind of stars and patterns of light. And it's um, um, endless kind of divine circular Godhead, you know, right. at the end of the divine <laughs> comedy. And he describes it in this just, you know, perfect poetic language and everything. And um, I suppose uh, when I listen to the song in a way, that's, that's what I imagined. I love reading that section of divine, divine comedy so much and, you know, there's some great wood carvings that you can see by um, 
Gustave Doré. Um, and he like he has some of the most famous images of that. And I, I don't know, I, I love some of that imagery. And uh, we, I think we were trying to take a stab at just uh, playing with some of those themes in our own way. It's not, you know, outwardly religious or anything. It's about patterns of, of life, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and, and such is the case with, I, I feel like, works like the Divine Comedy. It's not, it, that in and of itself is not a religious text, but it is, you know, philosophical and spiritual and, and whatnot. Well, yeah, it's universal. Yeah, exactly, exactly. about will the circle be unbroken by the staples singers um simple question why'd you pick this song and what do you like about it i love this specific recording um of the staples singers and um, i like the story behind it you know that mavis staples became really famous on her own as a gospel singer but at this point when these recordings were made she was like 16 years old and um singing with her father and her family and the song is well again it's got that circle imagery that i love will the circle be unbroken um, but it narrates um, the story of somebody who is uh, taking their mother to their to her grave and uh, dealing with the death of their mother and uh, thinking about will the circle be unbroken? It's just wonderful, beautiful song. <laughs> so is, is this kind of a chicken in the egg? Like what what came first? Like did did the has this the new song on and on sort of given you this this appreciation for these circular imageries or, or or is this something that you kind of always had that you're now putting into um into the the visuals and the music uh, you know what I, until this moment i hadn't really you know concretized it as a theme really that's right. our, our but uh, our first uh, big song was called full circle though as well you know Love that it. was in 2012 um uh, I don't know. Circles are everywhere. Circles are for everyone for all time. You know, I don't, I, I can't, uh, yeah. I put that, that song in the list without knowing that I was going to go talk on and on about circles. Yeah. Uh, you know, whatever. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It just keeps coming back. It's uh, yeah. like a glitch in the simulation or whatever. Yeah. Uh oh. <laughs> yeah. We're going to get sucked into a circular vortex in a second. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I was standing. By my window on a cold and cloudy day when I saw the horse come rolling, oh, to carry my mother away. Will this be unbroken? 
Um, all right, so uh, it's all over now, Baby Blue by Bob Dylan. With somebody like this, why this song in the context of like his massive catalog and his massive body of work? Like, what is it about this song that really does it for you? Uh, just since I was young, since I was a teenager, I just loved having this song in my headphones. And when I think of like, if I, it, I've made lists like this before for di- different purposes. And when I think of just my favorite songs, that song always just pops up. I just, you know, it just really does something for me. Um, the whole second side of that Bringing It All Back Home album, it's got like Mr. Tambourine Man, uh, It's All Right Ma, Gates of Eden, and that. And that's like the, and It's All Over Now, Baby Blue. It's like just the best. I think that's, I would take any one of those four songs and overall that side, that sec B side of that record, I think is just absolutely transcendent. I think is as good as, as anything in Western art, yeah. you know, like it's yeah. just unbelievable. So and and I'm I'm curious about you know because you're, you're you're talking about records in an in an analog uh, way uh, and you've got you've got a tape recorder behind you so I'm 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 curious just about kind of where you stand just as a as an artist on the sort of you know how you work or if you work and how you work more um, analog uh, methods of recording and production in, into what you do. Yeah, I end up talking about this a lot for some reason. Um, uh, I think it's, it, you could ask any musician, you know, and they'll say, I prefer analog. Um, for some reason, everybody just puts up with digital, even though I think it would be pretty widely agreed upon that um, it hasn't made a provable improvement on recordings. You know, like 95% of my favorite recordings were recorded to tape. And uh, the, like the tape machine behind me, I just, I basically just do for fun with demos and this kind of thing. It's become kind of a necessary evil, something that I do embrace to a certain extent too, recording digitally. But um, I think it's, uh, it's a slippery slope in a lot of different directions because, you know, the, the, the infinite amount of tracks and the infinite amount of edits and the infinite, infinite amount of quantizing that you can do and, and tuning of things and, um, you know, it's, it, yeah, it's a slippery slope in many different directions. Um, but anyway, I, I don't think it's really a feasible alternative to actually go and record a full record to tape, at least not for us in our circumstances. So it's something that we wrestle with. Yeah. And, and, and how has that, has, I mean, like you, you guys have been around for, for, you know, like north of a decade at this point, like has that, has that changed at all? Like, or, or have you kind of remained kind of consistent in sort of not wanting to go off any of those slippery slopes like it, 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 is, is your take on it being a slippery slope something that you've had to learn the hard way perhaps no i think we right from the beginning we went in skeptical of it uh went in skeptic like oh we'd like it'd be great to perform as live as possible on your records you know be, it would be great uh it's not that enjoyable sometimes to have to sit there by yourself in a booth recording as an your part as an overdub on top of like just a raw drum kit you know um it doesn't feel like you're doing the thing that you practice to get in there and do um but uh now for this record um inwards and armors this ep that has on and on on it um we recorded it ourselves and so we're in control of the risk that we take along those lines and so that's been um good it's, it's been good to uh you know kind of carve out a personal relationship with the recording equipment because to some extent that kind of you know adds to the feeling that it's a living process rather than a more machine like um, yeah. you know automated yeah, situation yeah yeah very cool leave your stepping stones behind there's something that calls for you 
Forget the dead you've left They will not follow you The vagabond who's rapping at your door Is standing in the clothes that you once wore And it's all over now, baby blue Um, all right, so we're going to talk about Madame George Van Morrison. You know, an, another one where it's like, you know it's hard to know where to begin with Van Morrison. Um, first, first song I ever learned how to play on guitar when I was like eight years old or something was "Brown Eyed Girl." Um, so Van Morrison is very near and dear to my heart. Uh, what do you like about this song? Um, again, I love it. Uh, the album that it's on, um, Astral Weeks. I think that it's really special. It's nothing quite like it. It's really fresh and. Um, uh, like I think so, I, I saw someone I forget who it was describe this whole record, but this song in particular as seeming to spring up from the eternal Celtic spring, you know, that is okay. uh, underneath the, the soil of you know the the land of the Celtic people, and Van Morrison just seems to it's because it's very stream of conscious, like, uh, and it, it goes on for like nine minutes, and uh, you can hear all the instrumentalists just riding these kind of wage, waves and surges of um, imagery and their, uh, it's really like the timing of it and all that kind of thing is really imperfect, but really just perfectly imperfect. And so I think this is Van Morrison at the peak of his powers. I, I just absolutely love this song. Down the Cypress Avenue With a childlike vision sleeping into view Clicking, clacking of the high heel shoe. Ford and Fitzroy, Madam Joy. Marching with the soldier boy behind. He's much older now with head on drinking wine. And that smell of sweet perfume comes drifting through Early cool night like Shalimar And outside the making all the stops A kid's out in the street collecting bottle tops Gone for cigarettes and matches in the shops. It's so funny. <laughs> I feel like every time we have uh, Montreal bands on the show, you guys pick really long songs. Uh, sorry, really? yeah, it's going to be a long show. <laughs> yeah, really, really testing the boundaries of the format. I love it. Oh um, my God, because the next one I chose, Zombie by Fela Kuti, I think it's like, I think it's north of 10 minutes. I think it might okay. be like 14 minutes long. <laughs> we may have to do an abridged version or something. No, no, I insist you play the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> or else we won't get it. That song, can I talk about that one? Yeah, yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Yeah, yeah. I love, um, I love Fela Kuti. Uh, Nigerian funk music, so cool, so groovy, so free. Uh, this is uh, and uh, the this song is insane. The the just to consider that what they do here, they they the rhythm starts and then the 
um, instrumentalists, they just go for like seven minutes um, and they, they trade licks and they play all these great melodies before he finally starts singing. And then that goes on and on and on and on and on. So it's just, it's a totally different way of conceptualizing what music and a song and everything that you can do. It's like, okay, no, we're going to get into this and it's going to go long and we're going to have a good time. You know, right. it's, it's so much fun. Well, and I'm, so th this is something that I'm really interested in just because I, you know, I, I have a lot of friends who are musicians. I'm like barely a musician, but, um, but many of my friends will talk about how with, with streaming being the way that it is, there is a pressure to put, um, like, like the hook or the chorus of the song, like right at the beginning, like within the first 20 seconds, because like after 30 seconds, like you'll actually make money. It'll count as a stream or whatever. Um, I'm, I'm definitely bungling the, the specifics on that no, but I, I um, yeah and one of the things that that's interesting just for me to reflect on I'm, I'm not quite as cynical about that as as many people are but it, it is interesting for me to reflect on songs that have like a long and drawn out intro drawn out not in in an in a negative way but where, where people as you say are really getting to kind of explore and and, and riff off of each other um do you do you feel that that's something that's been that's been lost in a lot of contemporary music because of the the pressure to to sort of you know get streams and whatnot um i think that's probably i think there's probably truth to that um i think that that's been a problem for longer than streaming has been a situation though i think you know you think of classic a and r executives you know even back as far as the 50s and 60s and get to the chorus get to the chorus you know and 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 uh yeah get to the point but um i guess it, it it makes you just think of the different ways in which you listen to music if you put it on a you know while you're cooking um you're or you know you might want to dance around the kitchen while you, or dance around while you're cleaning up or something cleaning the living room like you want to listen to a long intro because you're not in a rush but i mean personally i can't think of that many situations where when i put on a song i'm like you know where's the hook get to the point when right. I, I need to hear that hook now in my you know like i mean what kind of listening is that that you're doing yeah. if you're if, I, I don't know um i don't know then there's driving in the car and and, and uh I there's there's just so many different ways to listen to music and i guess uh, it, i don't know what people are thinking when they say that i think um when you're making music if you're if you're chasing anything like that if you're chasing anything like the song should be this way for this format for this reason um you got to really watch out for that yeah yeah well because and, and and that's the thing right like i mean I, I and i think to your earlier point like the reason why i'm not as cynical about it is that i think that from the beginning of time there have been pressures on sort of shaping songs in a certain way i don't think that this is necessarily something that's like entirely unique to streaming but but you're also right that like if if it's hindering your creativity by it because of the fact that you're just like you're trying to have it fit like a certain format like that that's when you kind of get screwed a little bit i think yeah well i mean and then i guess just just put it on and after you've made those changes and see how it makes you feel and if you love it then just go with it but um i mean we've had i i, I can relate in my own way not so much to this the form or the arrangement of the song but just the sound of the of the because especially in the early days we tended to like things sounding dark and smoky and kind of obscured and you know we like our reverbs too long and and um the we were encouraged uh to brighten things up and tighten things up and make things there's a kind of like a high-end compression that people like to so it competes with radio because when you things are kind of abrasive sounding on the radio often and i have heard half when run records like in a 
a clothing store or something and it comes on after something else that has been kind of produced in the normal mainstream way and it's like wow our song sounds kind of quiet you know it sounds right. a bit like you know, it doesn't always necessarily hold up to what's being kind of blasted on the radio and so I mean that that can limit the kind of uh, some of the commercial opportunities or the you know the, the the range of your success arguably but I don't even know if that's true but you know that that, that an argument can be made and I don't I would never judge anyone for taking that into consideration you know? yeah yeah no of course you gotta you gotta kind of just find that balance like anything so Zombie, oh zombie. Zombie, oh zombie. Zombie, oh zombie. Zombie, 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 Next up, something by the Beatles. I, I would I would say that this is certainly one of their most underrated tracks. At least that's my opinion. It, it's it's certainly one of my favorites. Um, what do you like about this song? Well, I just thought I, I better put something by the I better put a song by the Beatles. Um, uh, because really, I would say, especially when I was young, that's my biggest influence. I mean, everyone says that. Paul McCartney, especially, I listen to just every little detail of what he does, especially with his bass playing and his background vocals. And he does both of those things so well, so crazy in this song. Like the bass playing is just wandering all around doing these melodic things that you totally wouldn't expect. It's so creative, a really underrated bass playing, um, even though I heard George Harrison hated it. Um, really? Yeah, he hated the bass playing in this. Um, he's and I love uh, Paul McCartney's background vocals in that B section. Uh, you're asking me, "Will my love grow?" I think that that section is just up. it's so good. I listen to that section over and over with the fluttering drums and it, how it just like uh, the energy just picks up there. It's so cool. The I, the only thing that this song doesn't have that I think it would almost be for me the perfect Beatles song if it, but it doesn't have John Lennon really on it. He's John Lennon is just playing a bit of piano. And so um, I, I, there's so many Beatles songs that I, I could have said. I love I'm So Tired and, you know, Come Together and the whole Abbey Road medley and lots. Of, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a sucker for the sappy Paul McCartney stuff too. Let it be a long and winding road and all yeah. that. I, I just, yeah, I'm a huge Beatles fan. Well, and, and I've recently, you know, I, I grew up with the Beatles being played a lot in the house. I remember um, <laughs> like when I was a kid, I think in grade eight, I got Beatles rock band. And, uh, you know, so, I, so that really sparked. Oh, so you my... learned all the parts. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I was I, very good at playing it, real instruments. Um, <laughs> I, <laughs> but then um, recently, I, I've sort of been diving back into them because of uh, some of the band's like some of the British bands from the nineties that were pretty shameless in ripping them off. Um, like Oasis. Is, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Which has given me a, uh, a new appreciation. Um, what do you have any, uh, any thoughts on, on some of the more shameless Beatles ripoffs uh, that have sort of come into the, you know, the world of music and popular culture? I mean, 
I guess it's a, there's a spectrum of, 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 uh, of ripping off. And, um, the, I would say to that whole spectrum of consideration, um, I mean, see if it, see if you can get ahead. I mean, like that you're, you know, it's whatever <laughs> good, go for it. Give it a shot. You know, um, you know, there's, uh, like, uh, Greta Van Fleet comes to mind too. I think right, like, right. Well, yeah, yeah. Um, blatant things like that but that's been going the Beatles ripoffs have been going on for a long time and even some pretty good bands like Badfinger and, and uh, have, have made a good go at it I, I, I don't really care you know like I, I, <laughs> yeah. I, 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 yeah I don't really care something in the way she knows and all I have to do is think of her Something in the thing she shows me I don't want to leave her now You know I believe in how Um, all right, so we're going to wrap up by talking about um, another one of your songs. But before we do that, I wanted to just... I, I'm interested in how sort of music scenes from different parts of the country can can kind of collide. And you are from Vancouver Island, um, but uh, Half Moon Run is based in Montreal. We've had guests from Vancouver Island and we've had guests from Montreal each talking at length about the scenes in their cities. So I, I just give, given the fact that you... Uh, you know, have, have one foot in, in each camp to some extent. Uh, what, uh, like, how, how, how have each scene kind of shaped your, uh, your musical upbringing, your musical journey and, and, and the stuff that you, that you ultimately put out into the world? Oh boy. So, well, I guess I grew up on Vancouver Island. That's right in the Comox Valley. Um, what there was going on there when I was a teenager was just a lot of opportunities for, there was like a lot of young bands in high school that were trying to write their own songs and playing at, you know, little outdoor battle of the bands. And like, I just knew a fair amount of other kids that were starting their own bands. And so I was playing a lot. I played in, um, at one point I was playing in the local pubs. I had a cover band and we would play like Friday and Saturday night, most weekends, four hour sets. And so I really learned how to, um, you know, be comfortable on stage when I was in Vancouver Island. But hey, a lot of people from where I'm from on Vancouver Island ended up moving to Montreal if they wanted to have a serious uh, um, shot at music or something artistic, because there's just a really low ceiling um, in terms of what you can realistically pursue on a professional level uh, on Vancouver Island. I find in BC in general that um, the, the I don't know, I wasn't interested in really pursuing the Vancouver music scene, for instance. I didn't, I did, that seemed like just there was nothing there for me. Montreal, on the other hand, once you get to be um, around 20, uh, it's just just endless opportunities to go to that next level. There's, you know, um, there's a total scene here. People have their eye on the bands that are starting to get a bit of a following here. So if you can play a show to 80 people even in Montreal, um, you know, the all, people are, are going to notice. People are going to notice in other cities. Um, so it's a, it was a, kind of a stepping stone uh, process. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, I, you know, and I, I used to be in a in a band that was based out of Kingston and Montreal. Um, I've got a lot of friends who are in bands that are based out of Montreal, and and yeah, like the the scene there is amazing. Like just the extent to which kind of people look after each other and and really will sort of ha- like take genuine chances on 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 people. And and there's lots of like really cool 
small labels there that are that are really you know doing god's work and Absolutely, putting yeah. on these bands and stuff um all right so i want to talk about how come my body another um track with a great video um very like super nostalgic was my take on it lots of uh live footage and and whatnot um so i guess with that like what uh what's the song about but also what do you miss most about gigs um the song it's actually the we started writing it uh i remember writing the guitar part for it like i was on 19 years old long time ago um 2000 well 2010 yeah right. uh, and um it was so back then i was going to university and i was feeling um you know, like people feel when they're going through that change between kind of, you know, adolescence and adulthood. And so the song is, um, I think, I think with affection about a younger version of myself when I hear that song. And so that already, like what I'm saying, there's kind of a nostalgia in that looking back and, you know, um, yeah, when the, the music video, yeah, live footage from gigs and a lot of, you know, um, physical contact and that kind of thing in the yeah. video, which you find uh, after COVID, it's almost shocking to see. Yeah. It, makes, it makes your gut feel like something kind of wrong. You're watching something kind of wrong. And that, that, that is, that's what I miss most about gigs, the human contact, no, no question. I love meeting people after the gig and meeting people for the first time. And maybe they wanted to come to a show for a couple of years. And maybe one of the songs is um, important in their relationship. You know, they listen to it together or sometimes people get married to one of the songs. Um, and sometimes they get married to one of the songs and now they have a little baby there and then they That's pass me great. their baby and I'm hold a baby and hug the people and um, what could be better than that? You know? Yeah. And, yeah. What's that like? I mean, like, you know, just to me, I, I like the, the, the power of music to do things like that is just the coolest thing in the world, in my opinion. Like, like the fact that, you know, bunch of dudes in Montreal who met on Craigslist are now just like, you know, putting music out into the world. Like new life is like the product of it. That's so nice. I know. I know. It's just absolutely the best. Um, I'm, I'm just so grateful that to be uh, around for that to, and to have that be part of my life. And on the, on the other hand, too, we've been um, close to people at the time of their death and that's, that's touching in a different way, you know, um, some people share their tragedies with us as well. Yeah. And, and then, uh, so it's, and it's all just as meaningful. Does that put any pressure on you? Like in, when you're sort of going, going to write the next thing, just knowing that like, you know, you, you've had these experiences where people share how meaningful, uh, a song has been. No, I wouldn't call it pressure at all. I, I think that, um, if people are fans of the band, what they would honestly want from us would be for us to, try as hard as we can to do the best thing we can with our own discretion and so i don't feel pressure like if that's if that's what if that's the best thing we can do then you know the pressure is, is alleviated i would say yeah yeah there you go
All right. Well, um, we are at the end of the show. And at the end of the show, uh, we always get our guests to plug their latest release, uh, socials, whatever, whatever you want. Uh, tell the people where to where to check you out and what they can expect to hear from you. Oh, well, um, Half Moon Run's new record's called Inwards and Onwards. It just came out in July, and it's oh, well, some of my favorite stuff we've ever done. We've got a new vinyl available, and you can just search up Half Moon Run on Google or on all the social media platforms. Yeah, thanks again, and thank you to Alex for, for everything that you do um, <laughs> and, and setting this up and everything. Well, I mean, it was my pleasure. This was, I'm so excited to uh, have you on the show here. Like, honestly, like, can I fangirl for just a second? I have one specific question about um, the song, uh, Call Me in the Afternoon, specifically the Spotify session version. Oh yeah. In the very beginning of the song, me and my sister like have listened to the song since it's released. And like our favorite part is the very beginning before you even start singing, there's like, what, am I not singing? Oh, no, but we're really, oh, Phil, <laughs> it sounds like you're like arguing towards each other. I don't know. We've like made up our own dialogue about what exactly is like going down in that specific moment. But can you give me some information? Cause I'm, I'm so lost. Oh my God. Okay. The Spotify session version. I don't think I've ever heard it. <laughs> I don't. And I think we recorded it in 2000. I remember doing it. I remember doing it 2013 in Austin, Texas, when we were there for South by Southwest. And, um, but what you just said, I mean, it sounds like something we would say, and I'm sure we were arguing. I'm sure that we were arguing. That sounds like it was probably Dev. It sounds like we were probably um, debating whether or not we were going to do the vocals live with the instruments. Um, and then um, one of Dev sounds like he had a different understanding than Dill. And so I'm sure that we were just bitching at each other. That's what we do all the time. What's the most impressive though? It goes straight from arguing into immediately right into like singing. So <laughs> you figured it out somehow. I'll, ha I'll have to listen to it. I haven't ever heard it. <laughs> it's got a soft spot in my heart for that reason in particular. Oh yeah. Oh cool. <laughs> That's funny. Well, now you can you can tell your sister, Alex. I'm going. I'll I'll text her right after this. She knows. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. All right, guys. Thanks so much again. Great. Thanks a lot, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks very much to Connor for joining us this week. As always, you can find full versions of this show wherever you get your podcasts or at havingachat.com. The show is produced by myself and Alex Anderson. Social media and marketing materials are done by Petra Walker. So don't forget to check us out on social media at Having a Chat. Theme music is composed by Duncan Briggs and Sugar Glass. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next week.